0: Just what in the world are these donors thinking? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakovic. This is the first day from the fundraising school. And I'm joined today by Aaron Andrews. Aaron is the founder and CEO of the Give Team, a national consulting firm that is working directly with donors on their charitable giving strategies. And Aaron, thanks so much for being with us on the fundraising schools podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here.
0: Help us understand what is the give team? What work are you doing?
1: Yes, thank you. So um, I started Give Team about two years ago because I really felt that there was a gap in terms of the philanthropic advising profession and which donors they were supporting. So many of the my wonderful colleagues who are philanthropic advisors at financial institutions or who might run their own shop, they really, for the most part, are supporting donors in the top one percent of givers. So these are folks giving away well over a half a million, usually millions plus per year. And we absolutely need those folks to support those types of donors. Um, very beneficial. However, when I was working at Stanford, um, running a research lab on effective philanthropy, I was interviewing a lot of donors who fell just below that threshold. Uh, and these are the donors I call who are in the top 2 to 10% of givers. And they're giving away about a half a million per year, down to about 10 k per year. And these are folks who have a lot of money, they have a lot of wealth, Um, they are charitably inclined, they're giving at those levels, which is meaningful, but they haven't quite reached the threshold to trigger that highest level of philanthropic advising support. So for the most part, they don't have anybody to talk to. And I felt like that was a missed opportunity. The other component is uh, the donors who fall in that segment tend to have different needs than the donors in the top 1%. The donors in the top 1% might say, oh, my gosh, I have millions of dollars to give away each year. This is, uh, I really need some help. Maybe I'm going to hire some folks. We need to have big planning sessions and, and strategies. That's great. But if you if you look at the top 2 to 10%, those folks are giving at meaningful levels, but they might not sit around thinking about charitable giving. They might be busy with their, their jobs and their kids and whatever else is happening in their world, but again, giving at meaningful levels. If you were to provide them with that same kind of engagement as the top 1%, you might miss them. They might just say, wow, that's way too much. I'm not that kind of donor. I'm not that kind of philanthropist. So I wanted to come up with uh, an advising model that better fit that 2 to 10% because I see a ton of potential in those donors who mostly are giving reactively at those levels. So they give when being asked, nothing wrong with that, but many of them care and there's I believe a lot of hidden generosity we haven't unlocked in that particular segment because we're not talking to them about charitable giving. So that's sort of backing my way into why I started Give Team. What we specifically do, we support donors in that top two to 10% of givers. So again, folks giving away at the upper end about a half a million per year down to about 10k per year that they might be giving charitably. And we really have a few main steps that we support them. We first work with them to develop a charitable mission statement. So in a one-hour reflection session, they develop what they care about based on their values, what causes, communities they want to fund, basically a family charitable mission statement. We then um, match them up with their financial advisor to talk budget and vehicle, what makes sense structurally based on their financial situation. And then lastly, we have a 45-minute delivery meeting where we present specific nonprofits to them that we've handpicked Based on their priorities. Because what we found is donors tend to really get stuck on how do I come up with the strategy? What do I care about? And how do I find nonprofits to fund? So, those are the two pieces that we at Give Team are really trying to solve for for this particular segment of donors.
0: So, Aaron, you're talking with these donors, you're engaging with these donors. What are they saying? What are some of the themes that come out from these conversations?
1: Yeah, so most of the donors we work with are fairly disengaged from the nonprofit sort of charitable ecosystem. So they're not connected to, say, a a community foundation. They might be giving some donations, but they might not be volunteering yet, or they might not be sitting on a board. They're kind of just getting started, or they're just giving to their alma mater, their kid's school, their religious institution, those types of things. So a lot of times when they come to us, um, they... Uh, there's some kind of impetus. There's some reason why they would like to be more thoughtful. I'll give you some examples, and that will sort of relay into the types of scenarios, what they're they're looking for and what's helpful. So um, in some cases, they might have had a major wealth event, right? A lot of tech professionals or others, maybe they sell a business, have a major inheritance, and all of a sudden, from a tax standpoint and financial planning standpoint, it makes sense and they want to. Set up a pretty significant donor advised fund or maybe a family foundation, but they've never really done charitable giving in this and the scale, and they don't even know where to begin. They also don't want this to become a full time profession. So that's a real sweet spot for us. And there are a lot of other scenarios folks retiring, wanting to give back, but also wanting to spend time with the grandkids. So having a, a fair amount to give away, but not wanting, again, to hire staff or, or have a big um, spend most of their time thinking about it. So what are we learning from donors in these conversations? Um, One of the things is donors really, really appreciate taking a step back to reflect on what they care about. And we found that in just sometimes 30 minutes of our conversation, we can help donors develop clarity around the things they care about. And by connecting their past experiences with, their values, with their aspirations for their children and their family. Um, We can develop a very beautiful mission statement that's meaningful to them, that inspires more generosity. So, as a fundraising professional, the extent to which you can facilitate those kinds of conversations with donors, make sure you understand what their motivations are, what stories from their past may have led them to your organization. Um, those moments of reflection can be very meaningful for donors, allowing them to tap into, again, their core values, which ties them more closely to your mission, assuming that's why they're there. You're having those conversations. So that's one piece that's, um, I think, really valuable and meaningful. And the second thing I would say is, when picking specific nonprofits for donors to fund, that's another thing that we do to support them. Um, they really feel valued when you've really taken into account the things that they really care about and found organizations that touch upon those those specific um, opportunities. Um, as a fundraising professional, what would the sort of um takeaways from that 1B. I always love, when I brainstorm with large nonprofits, especially, I always love to brainstorm with them about um, how they can collaborate with other similar nonprofits and other pockets in their area. Um, Because I actually believe the pie is much bigger than we, we think. It shouldn't be a, if a donor is donating to me, I don't want to introduce them to this other nonprofit for fear. They will no longer support me. They will now move their donations over there. I actually don't believe that's the case. Um, I believe donors really love to build their network and that nonprofits who that can collaborate really effectively with one another um, can really increase the pie for everybody. Um, so that's another one. And then maybe on the at the end of the process, one thing I've heard from a few donors we met with, and this is definitely something I would urge fundraising professionals to, to really think about. Um, I talked about the reflection session, helping donors develop their mission, specific nonprofit recommendations, and then what's that experience like for our donors when they make a donation to these organizations we've suggested to them. Um, most for the most part they're very happy. however, as you can imagine, every nonprofit responds differently to, a donation they receive. And some of the donors that have reported back to us have heard when they made the donation, they didn't hear back from the nonprofit. And they were like, oh gosh, I still like the organization, but it would have been really great to to get some feedback from them. Or I tried to find contact information because I wanted to do an event with my children and I couldn't find it easily and so I gave up. So as fundraising professionals, just making sure you're doing that outreach to donors so that they feel like there's a connection and then making sure you're sort of communicating with them about how they want to to learn about you. Is it newsletters? letters? Is it following them on LinkedIn? Or, you know, what what those are their volunteer opportunities, those types of things. Because again, every nonprofit's going to do that a little bit differently.
0: Aaron, I'm glad, but not glad with that last point about how the donor does not hear from the nonprofit. And at the fundraising school, sadly, we hear that from donors who say, I'm I'm courted by the fundraiser. It could be a month, it could be a year, it could be a couple of years, I make the gift and I don't hear from the fundraiser again until the next campaign. And that's why at the fundraising school, we are adding and beefing up our curriculum on donor stewardship. We teach a 14-step fundraising cycle. The ask doesn't happen until step 13. And it's not the last step. The 14th step is stewardship, staying in relationship with our donors in ways that don't always involve asking them for money. And you didn't even know that when you made that comment. It shows just sadly how widespread this is, that fundraisers are moving on to the next donor instead of staying in touch with these folks who've been so purposeful in directing a gift in our direction.
1: Yes. And um, I, I have been really trying to think about, this is not something I can control. I can't Tell every organization, hey, you're getting a gift from our donor. Be sure to thank them or reach out to them. It's just not realistic. And so part of it is on my end, expectation setting with donors and saying every nonprofit does this differently. If you're not getting what would be useful for you to feel that connection, reach out to them. And so now in our deliverables, we actually include contact information because we don't want that to be a barrier. We want to make it so easy for donors to find the right person to talk to if they need something. Um, so that's part of it. But um, I think it would be. Yeah, it's, it's great that you have that <laughs> that particular resource and that you're really encouraging that for sure.
0: And the research backs up common sense. When we have stewardship with our donors. Those donors are the ones that tend to stay with us and, you know, we stay with us over the long haul and might even increase their giving over time. So, uh, Aaron, I want to ask you as as you take people through this journey. And they're very intentional about identifying their philanthropic motivations and values and very intentional about the how much and the how with the vehicles. Um, Does that also add up in terms of what they think about the impact of their gift, the results that their gift will generate? sounds like there's a lot of intentionality and purpose here designing where those gifts are going.
1: Yeah. So a couple of nuggets from that. One is we're also purposeful in providing donors with a potential recommended amount. We find that also can be a stumbling point, especially for donors who are ramping up their giving. Um, We are usually putting a few more zeros in front of what they're used to giving. And that anchor can help them stretch and give at higher levels, which we've we've found to be pretty effective, which is great.
0: When you work with donors and they're so intentional about identifying their philanthropic motivations and values and how they're going to give and how much. How interested are they in the results and the impact of those gifts? Yes.
1: Um, so how interested are they in the impact and the results? They are interested in that. Um, what, we do some expectation setting around impact as well with donors because impact takes time. And um, we it's important for donors to, to understand the activities that these organizations are doing, that those outcomes that are building toward that ultimate outcome. Uh, impact that those organizations want to have. So when we're presenting information about specific organizations, we are citing as much as we can find uh, what their wins have been, what their services, how many people they've supported. We're we're looking on their website and on their GuideStar profile for as much of that impact and outcomes and activity information as possible. We then run a one-year annual check-in with the with the donors and provide an activity report so that they can see what's this organization been up to in, in this last year. Now, what's tricky about that is organizations aren't always self-reporting. How updated is the information? Uh, and we don't want that to, to be a negative and detract from a donor's enthusiasm for a nonprofit. So, again, part of it is, for us, expectation setting with donors and saying, this might look similar to what we shared with you last year. This group's still doing great work, it's just they haven't updated their report yet, right? And let's check back again in a little bit. So those are some other things um, to, to think about there. Um, but as much as possible, we um, do tell them what those organizations are up to um, and, and hope that they will be following it. One of the, the challenges we've found um, in that initial process with us and then one year later How can we really help donors feel engaged? Because they get very excited about the organizations we present them with, and then they make donations to groups they've never heard of, have never had a relationship with, and your fundraiser's never had to do anything to get those donors, which I think is a win. That's great. But how can we help them um, really feel connected? So one of the things we're experimenting with right now, and this relates to sort of um, uh, how frequent information from nonprofits is, sort of that, how how often it's coming out, we're encouraging donors to follow their organizations, their funding on social media, right? Whether it's Facebook or um, X or LinkedIn or whatever, however they're showing up in the world, in many cases, we're finding nonprofits are keeping those channels up to date when when their websites might even be a little static. Um, And so we're just trying to experiment with different ways to help donors continue to feel engaged. Um, and, and connected to the organizations they're supporting.
0: And that ongoing engagement with donors that leads to consistent giving and even upgraded and major giving. At the fundraising school, we describe the initial relationship as linkage, interest, and ability. How is the donor linked to our nonprofit? Why are they interested? What is their ability to give? But as the relationship develops over time, we go to linkage, involvement, And advocacy, the linkage is still how they're related to our organization, but now how are they involved? Are they even advocating for our organization, talking us up on social media, introducing us to their friends, volunteering, coming to our events and so forth? And the information that Erin Andrews has provided us today is absolutely invaluable, uh, as she reminds us to walk with donors as they're identifying their philanthropic motivations and values helping them understand the types of vehicles that they can use to donate to your nonprofit, suggest a specific amount uh, to help them think about uh, the donation that they can make, uh, show them the impact and the results, and stay engaged over time for no other reason than it's the morally right thing to do. Folks have made a gift to your organization, let alone, more practically speaking as well, they might continue their giving and increase their giving over time. Aaron Andrews is the founder and CEO of the Give Initiative, and she's been so kind to share her wisdom with us uh, here on the fundraising schools podcast. Again, information like this taught in our 24 public courses, uh, and they're available in eight U.S. cities, online, anywhere around the world, customized specifically for your nonprofit or association, your region, your country. Uh, We also have our quarterly webinars and these free podcasts, and of course, all gathered in our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. Our website, philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakovich. You are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school.